Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And we are sitting near the Spanish Steps in Rome on a beautiful sunny day. And soon we will be going to a different location. However, we're going to introduce where we're going prior to getting there. And this is a show that's inspired by our listener, Paul. Now, Paul has been a longtime supporter of the show. And he's also one of those wonderful people that we count on to help us pay the bills in a big way because he donates $50 every single month to help keep this show on the air. And one of the benefits of being such a patron, of being a person who pays $50 a month, is that you get to take over the show for a time. You get to dictate what it is that we do, what it is that we talk about, where it is that we go, what it is we think about, however you want to take it. And Paul wanted us to go on a little scavenger hunt. He sent us a very long and ambitious list of things to find on our scavenger hunt, things to do really on our scavenger hunt. But uh, because time is short and Katie lost like a third of her time in Rome to COVID and a lot of the things on Paul's list, just even one thing would take sometimes like an entire day because they're very intense and uh, hardcore. Uh, They're very good ideas. Just we don't have quite enough time to do all of them. Yes. If I was here for longer and we hadn't gotten delayed in getting together, but I wrote to him, I mean, because some of them are like super fun ideas. Like, um, like for instance, He said, what if we were to record and describe what we see if we were on every single bridge that crossed the river? I think there's like 24 bridges. There's a lot. So, I mean, it would take us a while to get to every single bridge. It would be a cool show to see, like, how different is the neighborhood around each passage where the bridge crosses the Tiber River. But we just don't have the time. So I wrote to him and I asked him about it. And he said, just go ahead and pick something on the list or whatever's on the list that feels like it would be good. And I totally trust you to come up with what it is that you're doing. He said, I'm, I'm more than happy to be a silent supporter of the show. But since you want me to dictate something pick something. So we decided to pick number four on the list, which is go to the oldest cafe in Rome, interview someone who works there or the owner. That is correct. So we are headed to Antico Cafe Greco, which is right around the corner on Via Condotti. And it was founded in the year 1760 by a Greek man, a man of Greek parentage anyway, and uh, that's why it's called Cafe Greco after him, apparently. And the only cafe in Italy that is older is Cafe Florian in Venice. So it's pretty impressive. And, you know, I was thinking, how do you make that decision to open the first cafe in your entire city and the second in your entire country? Like, how do you have the, the confidence that people will come you know, since clearly getting coffee outside of your home is not a thing. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Like, yeah, if, if nobody's... And now coffee shops are s- so prolific, you almost forget that there would have been a time where yeah. it would have been odd. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it also begs the question, like, when did the... And we'd, I, we'd have probably have to go back to our interview with Wendy Polger to hear this. But, like, when did espresso makers become a thing? Like, when was it just people roast, you know, people uh, making a little bit at a time on their stove to these big machines that are making it pressed and making it fast and, you know, all of that? Who knows? I don't know. I guess probably around that time. Yeah, I was hypothesizing that perhaps because he was Greek, maybe it was a thing in Greece. And so he had the confidence that people will come. 
or that people would become addicted to caffeine, maybe. I don't know. It's possible. I don't know that, I mean, I'm sure there, you know, there is Greek coffee. I don't know in which place it's a bigger thing, though. Yeah, so we're going to go there. We're going to actually buy a $1,000 coffee. <laughs> I, I, I told Kate, like, Katie's like, well, maybe we should just, because we were, we were thinking about having lunch. And she said, let's just get lunch there. And I said, uh, no, let's not. <laughs> because it is, because it is so famous and because it is the oldest cafe in Rome, it's very touristy now. Lots of people want to go there, say they've been there. And so it's packed with tourists and I'm sure it's very expensive. So Katie and I are going to do the authentic Italian thing and we're going to waltz inside and have our coffee at the bar at the banco that will make it so that it's less expensive I'm, but I'm very curious to see how much it's going to cost because usually when you go to a cafe and you stand at the banco even in some of the most famous cafes in Rome like Sant'Eustachio or Tazza d'Oro usually it's around a euro for an espresso a little more a little less but um, you know so I'm curious to see like what they are going to have the the courage to charge. Hey, we may be pleasantly surprised. I mean, we haven't even set foot in it yet. They may not even have a bar. Like, if you don't <laughs> think Italians actually go there anymore, which they may or may not, I don't know. We'll find out. Point. I didn't think about that. Yeah, maybe it's all just seating at this point. Keep the fray out, you know, the common <laughs> rabble on their way to work out of the cafe. I don't know. That's good. That's a good point. We'll see. But I we guess we'll see. But before we go in, we should definitely see under why this bar beside this bar this cafe why it's so impressive beyond the fact that it's just the oldest one here well it's impressive because it was the meeting place for all of the intellectual and artistic foreigners and some Italians who were in Rome during that period starting in the late 1700s all through the the 1800s early 1900s the neighborhood we're sitting in the area where the Spanish Steps is not a lot of people realize it because now it's so commercial and it's so Prada Gucci Dolce Gabbana like that's all it is that and tourists and there's nothing else besides a beautiful staircase and and apparently a bachelor party or something yeah (laughs) something and a uh, museum to John Keats Beyond that, you know, you don't think about this as being like the left bank of Paris. You know what I mean? It doesn't have that same feel of being like the place all the intellectuals hung out. But actually, it is. It was. Starting in the late 1700s, this is where if you were coming to Rome as part of the Grand Tour, meaning, you know, you're a young American, English, German, that area. You're from that area. You're a young man. You're well-to-do. Uh, you've just finished all of your, you know, your education. You have to go to Europe. You have to go specifically to Italy as part of your the completion of your education. If you don't go to Rome, you do not have a complete education. That was what was believed at that time. And this was the neighborhood where everyone went. And in fact, there's like the Hotel Anglaise or whatever, Hotel d'Inglaterra, you know, the England Hotel, which is, you know, where they all stayed. and Or they got apartments if they stayed longer, like a lot of the actual artists stay. They put down roots here. You know, you've got your John Keats, your Percy Shelley, Lord Byron, Goethe. They all lived in this area. And where did they go? They went to Cafe Greco, apparently. I mean, there's also Babington's Tea Shop, which opens about 100 years later because there's nowhere in the city to get a proper cup of tea. And they're all English, so yes. Yeah, so they need tea. I mean, a lot of them were English. And, and so that, obviously, they filled a niche. But the Cafe Greco has uh, somehow, you know, they have this list. I mean, it's probably an incomplete list, but it is a list that they claim all of these people have had a coffee in their bar. Okay, and I I think that we should read the whole, we should just read the list. 
because right. we need to know whose shoes we're filling by even setting foot across the threshold. Exactly, because now Katie and Tiffany's names are going to be added to this list. <laughs> we'll write into Wikipedia and have them ask, have them at us. All right, so here we go. The historic figures who have had coffee at Antico Cafe Greco include Stendhal, Goethe, Schopenhauer, Bertel Thorvaldsen, Mariano Fortuny, Lord Byron, George Bizet, Hector Berlioz, Brahms, Liszt, Keats, Ibsen, Hans Christian Andersen, Felix Mendelssohn, James Joyce, Gabriele D'Annunzio, Chateaubriand, Orson Welles, Mark Twain, Nietzsche, Thomas Mann, Ingress, Gogol, Edward Grieg, Antonio Canova, Giorgio de Chirio, Apollinaire, Baudelaire, Wagner, and even more. And even, supposedly, Casanova has coffee in this bar. Uh, Toby's still there. <laughs> His ghost, at least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very, very interesting. I, I, I always wondered how they come up with a list like that. I was joking. Did they, did they sign a guest book? Yeah, and I was joking on the walk up to it when we were walking up that um, Italy is not really, it doesn't have a wonderful reputation for allowing you to linger at a coffee shop. Like, usually it's like, get in and get the heck out of here, you know? The co- it's not like in America where you can sit at a coffee shop for hours and you're writing your entire novel in a coffee mm-hmm. shop. Uh, here, I mean, maybe it wasn't like that back then, but it's sort of like, a, okay, get your coffee and keep move along, you know? Well, I'm actually really curious to know how it was because, I mean, Vienna, the Vienna coffee houses are really where that whole idea is born. The idea of you sit, you know, you've got this big stack of newspapers over here. You sit in the cafe, you smoke, you drink coffee, and you talk to your fellow intellectuals all day. That's a Viennese thing. It's really not an Italian thing, except maybe in Turin. But maybe Cafe Greco was an exception because I like to picture, and I don't know why I picture Hemingway because he's not on this list, <laughs> but I picture like Hemingway in there, like writing every day and getting his, you know, getting up at seven and going and doing his writing. So I don't know. Maybe it was just a place where they got together, like during breaks between writing sessions or composing sessions. I don't know. Yeah, it would be so interesting. It's always that that real regret in history that you can only imagine it. You can't witness it yourself. I know. That's why you got to do that. Get to get the time travel goggles. You know. Yeah. I mean, the other interesting thing when you were saying about the Grand Tour is that we're sitting so close, as you mentioned, to the Keats Shelley Museum, which is something where I think most people don't go. It's basically a preservation of the room, the final room that Keats lived in before he died here uh, in the early 1800s. And we've talked a lot about Keats on this show because I wrote that article. But I was just at the Protestant Cemetery, which is one of my favorite places to go when I come to Rome. Or some people call it the non-Catholic Cemetery because it's not all Protestants in there anymore. And Keats is buried there as is Percy Shelley. I was struck again by how many tombstones there, because they often give these great descriptions, you know, like a whole life of a person. Uh, these great descriptions of, of she came to Rome, suffered a horrible illness, and died in Rome at the age of 31. And there's so many tombstones like that because so many people, Keats included, came to Rome when they became ill, him with, with tuberculosis, to try to recover. They thought that this healthy Italian son, as you all still believe it is, uh, would heal them. Like that it had the potential of being a thing that would turn an illness around. And of course, maybe it did turn a bunch of illnesses around. You you healed here. Yeah, I mean, I did recover (laughs) from COVID here. That's true. Came down with it and healed from it in Italy. (laughs) But there are so many people, intellectuals and, and common folk that 
of means, certainly, who came to Rome to try to survive and ended up dying here as well. Yeah, I, w- I wonder if that's the reason that a Protestant cemetery was a necessary thing to build here in Rome. Maybe so many people from Protestant countries were here and dying. <laughs> and maybe that's and, the, and so in love with the city yeah. that they yeah. didn't want to be shipped back. Home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is an interesting thought. A very interesting thought. Well, should we walk over there? Walk. Are we ready? Let's, let's do it. Have we introduced the gravitas of this place enough? I think so. I mean, just the name, you know, pick one name off of this list. And uh, Goethe, there you go. You don't, you, all, all you need is Goethe. Like, really. Goethe had coffee here. Okay, I'm going there. I mean, Hans Christian Andersen, I don't even consider a real person. (laughs) (laughs) He was a real person. I know he was. But, you know, fairy tales are so ubiquitous that you just feel like uh, he was somebody that was back, you know, before Christ or something. (laughs) (laughs) Katie, with a quick aside, I wanted to share something with you. Do you know what I've increased this summer? My giving of money to podcasters that I enjoy. I've been seeking out the shows I listen to every single week, finding them on Patreon, and committing to a monthly donation. The number one reason why is I know how much work it really is to produce a weekly show. It is real work and a real responsibility. And I want them to be paid for that hard work and the creativity they are putting out every single week. The second reason is I know how encouraging donations are. When you're working for free, a monthly donation is a vote of confidence. It is a listener saying, look, I like what you're doing, and I want to keep it going. And that is a marvelous compliment to receive. And the third reason is selfish, I suppose. I don't want my favorite shows to go away. I measure my days by them. On Tuesday, I listen to this one. On Friday, I listen to that one. They are a major part of my week. They entertain me, they give me new ideas, and they make me laugh. The amount I give runs the gamut. One show gets $7 a month. Another one gets $50 a month from me. But it's worth it. It is. So no, I can't afford to give to every show that I like. But I can afford to give to some of them. If you value this show, there are links to donate in the show notes, or find them at thebittersweetlife.net. What's it like working in the oldest cafe in Rome? That's good. That's good prep. We are now standing. We are now standing outside of the cafe itself. All of the outdoor seats are full. They don't really have that many, but we're going to go in and see if it actually has a bar. And if we can talk to somebody, as Paul requested, we are going to try to talk we're to somebody. We're going to try. All right, here we go. Are you excited? Do you feel the pressure of Hans Christian Andersen looking over your shoulder right now? Percy Shelley. I'm. Was Shelley on that list? Oh, maybe not. Keith. There's a bar. There's oh, a thank bar God here. there's a bar. But yes, Keats, absolutely, 100%. Now, most of these cafes, you have to pay before you actually get your food or your drink. So let's go over to the cash register. That's the correct way of doing it. And in a place like this that's full of tourists, I'm guessing they insist on that. Okay, here. Hold this and I'll get out my credit card. Paul, I'm putting this on you. I'm taking this out of your donation. Yeah, so it could be two euros or it could be 20. We're going to find out soon. Do you want anything besides coffee? Do you want any of these little sweet little uh, pastry thingamabobs? Uh, I mean, they look like they cost $100. Yeah, yeah, we're going to just do two coffees. Buona giornata, due caffè. Five euros? Not bad. 
It's a cool five euros for two coffees. That means two fifty each, and I'm really gotta say, I'm presently surprised. Do you want to ask her how long she's worked here? Da quanto tempo lavora qua? Da un anno. Un anno, quindi Keats non ha mai visto. Non ha mai visto John Keats, Wagner. No, purtroppo no, non abbastanza tempo. Poco più piccola. Un po' troppo giovane. Grazie. Been working here for about a year, not old enough to have met John Keats when he came in, sadly. <laughs> All right. Now you hate coffee, so let's see if this is I like... I hate coffee, but I do drink it when it's a special occasion. Okay. Do a cafe. Macchiato? Va bene. I just... Hmm? Do you want a drop of milk in yours? Sure. Do it, do it, do it. I'm going to grab a picture of... Uh, when they, when they give it to us. Now look, they've also given us a little bonus mini chocolate. Right, which I'm going to... Well, I'm not going to bring that actually up. But Paul, yes, we got a mini chocolate. Paul, oh here, your coffee being made here. Or ground, rather. Actually not as crowded in here as I expected it would be. Yeah, you maybe think maybe the, uh, the myth, like it's worn off. I think more it's like 12 o'clock people are either having lunch or they're thinking about having lunch they're not as much doing the coffee thing at 12 mm. yeah you're probably right now we ordered our coffee macchiato which means it's stained literally stained with a tiny little bit of milk and she made them into hearts grazie. she made little the milk is in the shape of a heart ah thank goodness that sound is over here we are here we are, Paul. We're about to drink our coffee at the very famous, oldest cafe in Rome. Mmm. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, espresso shots, I always find a little bitter. They are bitter. That's why they give you the chocolate. Now, Paul, as the producer of this particular episode, I want you to know that I'm also going to be bringing home for you a Cafe Greco yes. napkin and a Cafe Greco sugar packet oh. as a souvenir. In fact, I'm going to put some of this very famous sugar into my drink right now. This is the first time I've been here, Katie. In 17 years of living in Rome. I'm going to, since this is such an important place for Italian literature. Not just Italian, not meaning Italian literature, but meaning like things, stuff that was written about or in Rome. Intellectual thought, writers were thinking about Rome. So I thought we could read, or I could read if you, if you want me to. Okay. Um, yes, since I'm holding the equipment and the coffee, you go ahead. So I thought I could read a few wonderful quotes that are about Rome. Of course, I have this big list, and some of them are not, nothing to do with literature at all. So I'm going to skip those. But here's one, since we were talking about Goethe. Only in Rome is it possible to understand Rome. Would you agree with that? I'd w- I would. I would agree with that. Yeah, you can't really, uh, you can't really imagine it. You just have to experience it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think if you're not here, you don't really get the feeling of the span of the centuries that you do when you get here. But you also don't see the kind of clash of modern life on top of the ancient life. Like the people who are actually alive here now, the mix of the smell of perfume on women and the trash in the streets. Like you just don't <laughs> get the big feel of um, all of its... Beauty and all of its grittiness combined together. That's very true, very true. I love this quote because of how absolutely exuberant it is. Oh, Rome, my country, city of the soul, Lord Byron. It's like, 
How do you really feel about Rome? <laughs> Can I, you explain it better? I think he likes it. Yeah, and I think he has another quote in here. Um, no, this is Goethe again. I keep going back to him. Yes, I have finally arrived to this capital of the world. I now see all the dreams of my youth coming to life. I just, I'd love to imagine these guys who are very obviously well-educated, well-read, they've read about Rome, they've read all of this stuff, they know the history, and finally they get to see it with their own eyes. I mean, because they don't have YouTube, they don't have Instagram, they don't have, they can't see the pictures. They can only imagine what they're seeing that has been written in books or hear other people talk about it. And you know they're so sensitive because they're artists. So, so they're so moved by it, and I, and I love reading about it. I just love reading their quotes. Yeah, and I also love that you know, they had to write about it. They had to try to express their thoughts. I mean, we've talked about it on the show so many times that one of my biggest sadnesses about people traveling in Rome and really anywhere is that the it's so focused on the documentation of it and not as focused on the feeling of living it. Now, I think people are probably doing both, but yeah, I do feel strange that everybody feels like they need to document their trip as much. Uh, I think that's true with any travel these days, and I am totally guilty of it, and I have to fight against it constantly. And then again, these guys are documenting their thoughts, so... They're documenting it, but they're doing it in a different way, in a more thoughtful way, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a Luddite and, you know, preferring the way that used to be instead of the way that it is my way, my lifetime. But uh, here's a really beautiful one by Anatole Broyard. Do you know who Anatole Broyard is? Cause no, I do not. I've never, the only, I've only ever heard his name in association with this quote, but it's so beautiful. Rome was a poem pressed into service as a city. Ah, that's lovely. So beautiful. And Katie, you thought of a beautiful Rome quote. Can you read it for us? Yes, one I believe you introduced me to by Louisa May Alcott. She writes, Rome took all the vanity out of me, for after seeing the wonders there, I felt too insignificant to live and gave up all my foolish hopes in despair. <laughs> So beautiful and, and, and dramatic. I, and dramatic, but I, do, I can't get it. It's like you stand in front of the Colosseum or any of these other monuments and you feel so insignificant. Yeah, we were just talking about the pyramid. Uh, there's a pyramid in Rome that's actually looming over the Protestant cemetery that's been here since 12 BC and it looks nearly new. And you can't help but stand in front of that pyramid and think, well, I'm just one of millions and millions of people that have stood by this pyramid for all of these generations, and the pyramid will be here long after me. I know. So why even bother with vanity, like she's saying? Yeah, absolutely. But I do have to say that um, although it can make you feel insignificant, it it's also so inspiring, too, at the same time, to think a lot of people stood here and, and were inspired to do amazing things, so why not me? So it could go in either way. And that's true. I mean, we're standing in the cafe where that list of people all spent time. Yeah. So there yeah. you are. So thank you, Paul, so much for this idea. It's certainly been an adventure. We'll take a few photos so that you can see it online to get an idea of where it is. And uh, like I said, I'll be bringing you a few uh, cafe souvenirs. A fancy napkin and a packet of sugar. <laughs> Thank you so much for your support of the show. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. If you love the show, take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love to read while you listen. And your rating might help someone else discover the show. 
take just a couple of minutes to let the world know what you think of this show. It means the world to us. Thanks. Thanks.